My name is Dr. Ian Storch. I'm a board-certified gastroenterologist and osteopathic physician, and you are listening to DO or Do Not. If you're interested in joining our team or have suggestions or comments, please contact us at doordonotpodcast.com. Share our link with your friends and like us on Apple Podcasts, Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. We hope you enjoy this episode. Today on Dio or Do Not, we interview Dr. Matthew Manet. After a discussion with the comedian David Siegel in episode 66, we thought it would be interesting to speak with a Dio urologist about what really goes on when a physician is helping a male patient that has issues with infertility. Dr. Manet will speak about his journey into osteopathic medicine in a seven-year program, how he became interested in urology, and how hard work and dedication earned him the opportunity to train in a competitive surgical subspecialty in Philadelphia. He will also comment on how he feels that the ACGME merger has made obtaining urology fellowship more difficult for DO students. Although this may be true, we recommend that medical students and residents interested in urology do additional research since we do not have the data to support or refute this idea. We hope you enjoy. All right, Matt. Thank you so much for being with us tonight. Sure, my pleasure. So Matt, you're a urologist. I just want to start for the pre-medical students and a little bit for myself. How would you describe what a urologist is and what a urologist does? Sure. So a urologist is a general urinary tract surgeon. So we do both uh, medicine and surgery of the urinary tract. That includes anywhere from the kidneys, the ureters, the bladder, prostate, Anything where urine comes out, we take care of, including the testicles. <laughs> <laughs> We're going to talk about that a little bit. Okay. But yeah, Matt, let me ask you. So here's where I get confused a little bit. A urologist is like a surgeon, but you have your own residency. Like you're not a general surgeon. Is that correct? That is correct. But we have to do general surgical training. So when I did my training, it was a six-year program. I did one-year rotating internship, one-year general surgery, and four years of urology. They've now streamlined it to five years since there's no more rotating internship. And now it's one year general surgery, four years urology. But you would still say anything urinary you do, like medical stuff for the urinary tract you do as well. Correct. Yeah. And then as far as a urogynecologist, so the question is, is female urinary issues you too, or is it mainly men? It, it, no, it's female also. And urogynecologists is kind of usurped the liver our territory. And, and that's, you know, we have some fellowships in female urology. So the question always is, where should the patient go? A urogynecologist or a female trained urologist? And there's a turf war that goes on. And the gynecologist will refer to the urogynecologist. You know, the medical guys will refer to us. But if you do a fellowship in female urology, you're just as well trained as a urogynecologist. Now, in general urology residency, we do also learn female urology. So we do have some of that as well. And I want to come back and talk about this with you again, I think I mentioned, but you do fertility also, is that correct? We do, yep. So men, mostly for men and men that are having right. erectile problems and problems having children from a male perspective, that would be the urologist. That's correct. So a lot of stuff. You guys take care of a lot yeah, of stuff, right? We do, yep. Cool. All right. So tell me, Matt, tell me a little bit what time you open your eyes in the morning and what your typical day looks like, and maybe an idea of some patients, general idea of what type of patients you would see. Sure. So my typical day is I'm up at six. I, I try to hit the gym before office, go to the hospital, do rounds. We start the hospital hours at the office hours at eight. We usually go to five. Then I'll go back to the hospital if there's anything left to do. 
and then home to do meetings and podcasts. <laughs> awesome. And we're happy you're doing it. So surgery, like when do you do your surgeries? Are those in the so, office or those in the hospital? There are procedure-based, the procedures we do in the office, but they're non-anesthetic. The surgeries we do in the hospital or surgery center, I personally do every other Wednesday, first Friday of the month, those are the days I pick for surgery. And then of course we have to squeeze any emergencies that may arise. So now procedures, can you tell us a little bit, would you say if you're in the office, are you doing a mix and then procedures would be like cystoscopies without getting too gory or too detailed where everybody's like, oh my God, don't talk about that. (laughs) Like, can you tell us a little bit about what you do in the office and what types of surgeries? Sure. So in the office procedure-wise, we'll do cystoscopies with no anesthesia. We'll do urodynamic studies. We'll remove some simple cysts or, you know, simple excisions, drain and abscess. But the surgical procedures are bladder tumors, prostate cancer, ureteral stones, renal stones, you know, anything more major that needs anesthesia. That's awesome. That sounds really cool. So so it's a good mix urology, right? You do some medical and you do surgery and procedures. Correct. That's cool. So now here's the little piece that I wanted to talk to you about. So there was a comedian that I, that I know we talked about this a little bit, who had a little skit where he saw a doctor and basically he went in, he was having some fertility issues. He said he went into the operating room, got three little incisions and had an operation with a DO. Right. So can you just forget the whole joke how would something like that play out? Okay. So a man's having fertility issues. Again, I assume you can kind of kind of have a differential of what he may have had. Can you run me through? He would come into your office and how that would go, what tests he would have, and then what surgery? Sure. So if if a man comes in with infertility, the first question is, how long has it been? Some guys freak out. They can't get their wife pregnant in a month. That's not real infertility. We want at least a year's worth of trying unprotected sex. If that's the case, then they're deemed infertile. And we'll do the first test we do is a semen analysis. Because if they have a completely normal semen analysis, it's most likely a woman issue or they just it's just not working for whatever reason. Now, the semen analysis is going to lead us down a path what the next test will be. On the first visit, we'll also do a physical exam. And what we're looking for is a varicocele. And that's what that comedian was talking about. And if you guys remember, a varicocele is like a, a bag of worms in the sack. And a large varicocele can cause testicular atrophy and can cause infertility. So if a man has a low sperm count and low motility and a large varicocele, one of the potential things we could do is a varicocelectomy, which is a surgical procedure. And it's an inguinal incision we make and we clip off the veins that go down to the sac. And that doesn't really change the appearance of the varicocele, but it does increase the um, fertility parameters. But that's just a very small microcosm of what uh, infertility could be. It's just one issue. But the person wouldn't come into your office and then like drop their pants and you would say, okay, that's what it is. We'll just operate on you right here, right now. Definitely not. (laughs) Right. They usually, they come in, you evaluate them. They're doing this whole semen analysis. And then ultimately you discuss with them the surgery, you schedule it. And obviously they know your credentials before going to the operating room. Usually they do. (laughs) (laughs) All right, Matt. So we're going to go back a little bit and maybe okay. can, can you tell us when you decided you wanted to be a doctor and a little bit about college and applying to medical school? Sure. So I really can't remember not wanting to be a doctor. Like a lot of little boys want to be a fireman or a cop. I always want to be a doctor. I don't really know why, but I did. So that was always my goal. And in high school, I volunteered at the local hospital. I became a lifeguard. I did first aid. It was always my goal. And interestingly, my college experience is when I was a high school senior, 
I found the first BSDL program for New York Tech. It was in the second year and I applied for it. And I remember the morning of my interview, I didn't really know what a DO was. And this is pre-internet. So I had to run to my local library and read what a DO was. I knew there were licensed physicians, but I didn't know the difference. And I'm glad I did that because the first question of my interview was, why do you want to be a DO? And I got accepted into the program. It was a seven-year combined med program with New York Tech and, and NICOM. And like I said, it was the second year in existence. And it, it was challenging finishing college in three years. It was competitive and challenging, but it's something I'm glad I did. Now, when you went there, were your parents or your friends or you're like, oh, my God, I just got into this seven year medical program where they're like, OK, well, what the heck is a DL? Were they asking you those yeah. questions? Also? Oh, yeah, a lot of people, because yeah, this is back in 1983. No one really knew what a DL was, including me. So, <laughs> yeah, there was a lot of questions. You, after you but, did your research, you felt good. And, and yeah, you, I, you know, yeah. if, like it is today, you know, medical school is very, very competitive. I knew a DO was a licensed physician. I, I knew kind of the differences between uh, you know, allopathic medicine and osteopathic medicine, which I liked. But the bigger draw for me was a seven-year combined program, and it kind of took the pressure off of having to apply to medical school. I think in retrospect, it was probably a little more challenging than I thought I was getting myself into finishing college in three years. But you know, it took a lot of pressure off because I knew I was already accepted to NICOM, assuming I kept my grades up. That's great. So now when during that time did you decide on urology? That's a more interesting story. So and my wife is sitting next to me and she's chuckling because I went into NICOM wanting to be a family practitioner. Then when I started doing my clinical rotations, every rotation I did, I wanted to be that doctor. And I was really confused and it was really very challenging because I didn't know what kind of doctor I wanted to be. And I remember I was in my fourth year of med school. I did an ear rotation at the very end of med school. And I just loved suturing people up. And I decided I have to be a surgeon. And then the question was, what type of surgeon? So now I was an intern and I thought I wanted to be a general surgeon. And I started hanging out with this urologist, one of our teachers from NICOM. And he was really charismatic and dynamic. And I really just fell in love with urology. And luckily for me, when I applied, there was a spot open in Philadelphia. Because as you know, urology is a very competitive field. So my story was kind of a little bit of luck and timing, and I got lucky. Now, when you say there was a spot open, I mean, that makes it sound like, oh, there's just a spot open, and I went to Philadelphia and took it. But I'm sure there are a lot of people applying for that spot, right? Yeah. So this mentor of mine knew the guy running the program in Philadelphia, and I got an interview, and he basically said to me, I don't know who you are. Come down to Philly, do a year of general surgery, and if I like you, I'll give you the spot. If I don't, you're out of luck. So I rolled the dice. I went to Philly, worked my ass off, and I got the spot. So you started off with an internship in Philly before you were accepted into urology residency. Actually, it was an internship in New York, the rotating DO internship, which we don't have anymore. So I did that first. Then I did a year of general surgery in Philly. And then I got accepted into the four-year urology program. Now, when you say you worked your tail off, what does that mean? You know, the med students today have it a little bit better than, than we did. So back then, there was no rules. It was every other night call, every third night call, 36 hours, suck it up. You don't like it, you can leave. So it was literally 100, 120 hours a week. You got there at 5 a.m., you left 9 or 10, and you just did your job. And then when you were finished or in the middle of it, did that mentor or the your mentor's friend that was there, did he just pull you on the side and say, I'm giving you the spot or was there a yeah, match? Halfway through the year. You know, and, I, and of course, I went to all the urology meetings and I got to know the guys. And about halfway through the year, they said they were giving me the spot. And you were psyched. 
I was very psyched. Yeah. Yeah. And <laughs> did you do research? Was there anything else that you did or are you just working your tail off? I really didn't do research. There wasn't a lot of opportunities back then in osteopathic schools. So that, that wasn't something we really did back then. You know, I did well on my board scores and you just worked your butt off. That was really what they wanted you to do. Right. And now that that program was all DO, is that correct? Or were there well, any MDs yeah. there? Nope. It was an osteopathic program. So there was no there was no a worry that maybe they were going to have a prejudice against you because there were only DOs in the program. Correct. I'll tell you, I, I think this whole ACGME merger is a detriment to our profession because I think, you know, back then, you know, this is going back to 19, I graduated med school in 1990. It was very, very difficult for a DO to get an MD urology residency. So I was able to apply to DO urology residencies with a, with a level playing field. I was competing with other DOs. Now, you know, Nikon's come a long way. It's a great school, but it's not Cornell. It's not Columbia. It's not Yale. It's not Harvard. And those are the kids you're going to compete against for urology and dermatology and orthopedics and the really high level residencies. And I think it's going to hurt our profession. We'll see how it goes, I guess. Right. Yeah. 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 My next question is, so you, you finish urology residency and now you're looking for a job. So what was that process like? So at the time, I, so I finished urology in 1996. There wasn't really a lot of job offers in, in New York. So I took a job in rural Ohio because it sounded good, good money. I was there about 10 months and I ran back to New York. <laughs> what was wrong? Like, why didn't you like the job? What, what didn't you like about well, it? Grew up in New York, trained in Philly. You know, you go to rural America and it's really an eye opener. It's just a different way of life. And it wasn't something I was used to or something I wanted to continue to do. Medicine, there was fine. There was nothing wrong with the job. It was really just the town I was in. It was a town of like 18,000 people. I was, it was like Doc Hollywood. You know, I was the new doctor in town. Everyone knew me. Everyone, you know, knew where I went every night. And it was, uh, it was a little claustrophobic. So my mentor from New York in 1996 was not looking for a partner in 1997 he was so i came back to new york joined the group and i've been here 25 years amazing and now just to give context to the listeners it's there's sort of a urology mega group right so you're part of a very large group yep so in 1997 i joined two guys in uh 2006 we joined this mega group where we started with 30 doctors local we've grown to over 100 and we're one of the largest groups in the country and we encompass suffolk nassau queens manhattan westchester white plains and that's uh, we're called integrated medical professionals and in the interim my senior mentor retired my middle partner passed away and i'm now the senior partner in the division Amazing. That's pretty cool. Now, I mean, my my big question at the end, I was looking for a DO urologist to interview because there were some requests and I'm like, obviously, I'm very excited that I found you. But there's a list of like 5,000 doctors in your group and I think you're the only DO. So my question on that is, has that affected your career? Do people ask you about it? Do you? Well, not really yeah. at this time. And in fact, in our big group, we have two other DO urologists. One is out east and a new guy just graduated. He joined our group too. But for many years, I was the only DO urologist. For many years, I was the only DO urologist on Long Island. But early on, it did affect me certain in certain ways when I was in medical school. We couldn't do rotations at LIJ and North Shore Manhasset because they wouldn't allow DOs in the building. So there was a lot of prejudice back in the late 80s doing rotations. Like I said, it was almost impossible to get an MD urology residency. So I did a DO urology residency. When I came back to New York, 
I was actually the first DO trained urologist to apply for privileges at LIJ. And they didn't really want to give them to me, but they really kind of had to at that point. It's 1997. So there was a little bit of prejudice, but it it didn't really affect my career trajectory because there was a lot of DO family practitioners that, that supported me. And then over the years, it's become more and more open between MDs and DOs. So I can't really say it adversely affected my career, but there were challenges early on. Now, has any patient ever come in like Hassan Minaj and say, listen, you know, I have this like thing on my testicle. I can't have kids and I'd like you to fix it. But what the hell's the DO? Once in a bloom when a patient will ask what a DO is, but it's it's rare. It's very rare these days. Can I ask you some personal questions? Is that yeah, all right? Absolutely. Yep. So, so tell me about your wife. What is she, is she a doctor also? What does she do? No, she's a nurse and she's my high school sweetheart that we met when we were 14 years old, started dating at 16. And we've been married now coming on 33 years. So is it, does she find it difficult being married to a doctor? How is your relationship? Is yeah. it easier because she's a nurse? It's way easier because she's a nurse. I mean, she gets it. You know, she gets all the dinners that we have to miss or just last Friday night we had dinner plans and I had an emergency. I had to go and she gets it. She's so cool with it. And I think it helps being a nurse because she knows medicine and she knows that I'm not just bailing because I don't feel like going out with her. I'm bailing because the patient needs me. It really helps that she's in medicine. And the fact that, you know, you went to Ohio and you like dragged, did she go with you or she like, forget it. I'll see you next year. Or no, she, did. she was kind of excited about it. She thought rural America would be fun. And, you know, I was doing very, very well out there. I was the only urologist in town. So I was busy from the get go and I was kind of struggling. Should I come back to New York? Should I give it some more time? And she made it simple for me. She said, I'm going back to New York. You do what you want. <laughs> so funny. So yes, yeah, so that was the end of the question, right? <laughs> yep. <laughs> Matt, my my last, our like grand finale question, my last question for you is, what is the best piece of advice that you've been given from someone else that you would pass on to our listeners that helped you along your career? I think the best advice I got is someone told me, pick the specialty you love. Don't look at the monetary rewards. Don't look at the lifestyle. Pick what you love, because if you love what you do every day, you never work. That's awesome. That's awesome. Matt, listen, thank you so much for your time. I really appreciate you hanging out with us. Sure. My pleasure. All right. Have a great night. Thank you. You too. This concludes our episode of Do or Do Not. Send all inquiries, comments, suggestions, and even let us know if there's someone you want us to interview to do or do not podcast at gmail.com. Don't forget to like us on Facebook at Do or Do Not Podcast for updates. If you enjoyed our podcast, please share it with your classmates and administration. We have plenty of more interviews lined up, and we're excited to share them with you. This is Tian Yu Shea. Thank you guys so much for listening to Do or Do Not.